Hey family, I bless you all in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully during this time. I bless you right now in the name of Jesus that you would experience healing. Healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your, in your spirit, in your soul. I, I bless you in these days that you would flourish and, and prevail in, in these times. I, I bless you to know the guidance of God, the help of God in these days. And I bless you to know the love and the joy and the hope and the, and the peace that comes from God. May it be true for you in these times and in these days. Amen. Amen. All right, welcome back to our exciting, our exciting series entitled The Bible Land and Biblical Faith. The Bible Land and Biblical Faith. Today I'm going to tell you a sad story with a decent-ish, a pretty decent ending. Uh, but, a, but a sad story mostly. And I'm going to tell you about this land of fighters who keep forgetting who they're supposed to be fighting with. I'm going to talk about this, this, this amazing God that we have, this, this God who, who sees these fighters fighting against him and he gives them second chance after amazing second chance after amazing second chance. We're going to be talking about this part of the land that's connected to the tribe of Benjamin, which is located right in the middle of the land. So we're going to start off with a map here, right, as we get going. And, and when it comes to Benjamin, maps more than pictures are going to help us understand the opportunity and consequently the tragedy of the story of the tribe of Benjamin. So map one here, this is a map of where all the tribes settled right when they moved into the land. Technically, this is a map of the early days of the book of Judges. You can see where Benjamin is located. You can see how small it is right in the middle-ish there of the map. I kind of did a little red bit around the tribe. It's just above Judah. It's small, but it is bursting with potential. Bursting with strategic potential. The second map here, notice where it's located, connected to the map we looked at last week. You have Shechem in blue up north. That's where we were talking about last week. Now we've moved down to the red bit, the area of Benjamin. It's between the two green roads. Those are the most strategic highways of the ancient uh, Middle East. And you can see where those are. And then there's that yellow road down the middle, which is the patriarchal highway. And that is the only and major, most important north-south road in all of the land of Israel, at least the heartland of Israel here. So you can see that Benjamin, the area of Benjamin, is right on that north-south road. And, and it, again, it is, it's amazing, but, but there is a, uh, an extra, extra strategic part of the land of Benjamin. And that is the red triangle that you're seeing on the map there. Now, you're like, oh, I thought that was the land of Benjamin. Well, I kind of made a little dashed line, a little, a circle-ish kind of a thing, a little bit bigger than the triangle. That's the land of Benjamin. But there, then there's this triangle, which is this most strategic part. Why is it the most strategic part? Well, because it's, it's, a, it's a relatively flat highland plateau. It's a highland plateau. And what does that look like? Well, let me show you what it does not look like first. Most of the area, and most of the area, looks a bit like these pictures. Uh, the dry one is to the east, 
and then the green one is to the west, south kind of thing. This is what most of the land, that is why there's not any other north-south roads. Because there's all these hills and wadis and, and, and it, the land is just wavy and wobbly. and You, you can't put a straight road through there. And, and so there, that's why there's no other north-south roads. So that's what most of the area looks like. But then you have this plateau. And here's a picture of the plateau. It, it is a highland plateau, flat, and, and, and there's many, uh, several cities on this very strategic area. Now, I think I just want to give you a warning side note when it comes to pictures for today. Uh, there's not great pictures of the area of Benjamin for two reasons. One, it's in Palestinian land. And, and that, uh, the Palestinians have no value, or maybe they actually have an anti-value for archaeology. They are not interested in digging up the ancient biblical uh, roots of, of, of Israel's living in the land. That takes away from their claim that is their land. And so they, they're not fans of archaeology. The only reason they do it from time to time is because of tourist money, but it's, there's not much archaeology. And the second reason, and you can see on this next picture here, is that most of the ancient, most of this plateau is kind of covered with uh, an urban sprawl. And so there's, there, there's just, you know, town after town after town. In the old days, there was like a tell, a hill, and that had a town on it. And then there was another hill, and that had a town on it. But now they kind of blend together. So we're going to do our best when it comes to pictures today. And this plateau, you can see it's big, it's spacious, very different from the wavy lands all around it. Okay, so you got this plateau. But that that's great, but it doesn't entirely capture how strategic this, this place was. So back to another map for a second. I told you a couple weeks ago that, there, that the, the promised land is a land between. And it goes, it's strategically placed between the riches of Egypt and Babylon and between the riches of Arabia and Greece and the Mediterranean. I told you, but I didn't show you, that there are three crossroads that go through the land that, that, where you can bring the riches of Arabia to the coastal ports and off into Greece and Rome and all that kind of stuff. Well, this map, I've kind of highlighted where they are. There's a southern one, and then there's this northern one through the Jezreel Valley. But then there's one more, and it goes right through this the 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 middle bit of the land this is very important there's there's only these three now uh, zooming in on that area on the same map here honestly i, I want to let you know that this is the worst of all of the other this is the worst of the three by far it is an awful road from jericho going up to the plateau it's so steep caravans it's it's possible but it's not uh the main ma main route but what it what it is for the nation is if you want to go into the land, if you want to go into the heartland of Israel for some reason, or, you know, for trade or whatever to, to sell things, then this is probably the way that you're going to go in. If you're going to come in from the west, you're going to come on the blue line. If you're coming from the east, you're going to come up that, that blue line. And you're going to find yourself on the Benjamin Plateau, which as you can see, crosses with the main north-south line. It is the crossroads of the heartland. You've got the, you've got the east-west people coming in, and then you would come to that, that patriarchal highway, the yellow highway, and maybe you go down to Jerusalem or Hebron, and it, or you'd go up to Shechem or Shiloh, and, and you, you come into the land like from, from that way. Armies might come in. Um, the Philistines come in a lot on that land, but that story is for other times. 
So you, you've got so much potential here. An extremely significant location, and, and yet you have a, a, a pretty sad story connected to this amazing part of the land. Let's start with Abraham when, when we come to talking about the Bible significance and the stories connected to this area. The last couple weeks, we've been talking about Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7, and we saw God make this call for him to leave Canaan, or sorry, leave, um, leave up north, and then come down to, uh, he comes to Shechem, and, and that's where he, he experiences the promise of God, we talked about that last week, and he builds his first altar to, to God there. From Haran to Shechem, and then we see this in verse 8. And I'm going to back up to verse 7 just so we remember, and then move on to verse 8. So this is Abraham. It says, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. That was in Shechem. So he built an altar there to Yahweh. First altar who appeared to him. From there, verse 8, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel. Bethel is on the plateau, on the edge of the plateau. So he's just off the Benjamin plateau. Bethel is in the land, uh, and so is Ai, in the land of Benjamin. So the second place he goes is on the hill country east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to Yahweh there. So this is the second place Abraham goes and builds an altar. And he called on the name of Yahweh. So we've gone from Shechem, now down the patriarchal highway to this area, the Benjamin area. In this case, just off the plateau. Uh, and then, that's significant with Abraham nearby, but then Jacob, Jacob puts it on the map. So Abraham has a son, Isaac, and he has a son named Jacob. And Jacob is the one that is going to have the 12 sons uh, that, that become the 12 tribes. So he's the... the the patriarch here of, of the nation. And, and Jacob is fleeing Esau at one moment, his brother, his twin brother. And he's going north to leave the land, and he places his head down on a rock here to spend the night at Bethel, at Bethel, on the plateau, and he has a dream. And, and, and he sees angels going up and down to heaven here at Bethel. And God meets him there and, and extends the same promise that this land will belong to he and his descendants. And, and God re reconfirms the promise to Jacob specifically here at Bethel, a very significant location. Here's a picture of Bethel today. Um, yeah, it just, it's Bethel. I, I don't know what to say. There's not any archaeology here. But this is where it is. A very significant land. Now, Jacob, he, he lives a long life, and he ends up dying in Egypt, being reunited to Joseph, long story there. But when he is dying, he blesses each of his sons, and some blessings he gives bigger, and some are smaller, and he gives a one-verse blessing to Benjamin, and thus the tribe of Benjamin that stuck with them through their whole story. This is the one verse blessing that, that is blessed over Benjamin as a people, as a tribe. Chapter Genesis 49, verse 27. Benjamin is a wolf. Benjamin is a wolf. He tears his prey. In the morning, he devours the prey. And in the evening, he divides the plunder. That's the blessing. Benjamin is a wolf. Benjamin is a fighter. 
fun fact to this day, the tribe of Benjamin holds on to this as their, their verse. And you can see they, they have a logo. Everywhere you go on the, on the Benjamin Plateau, you see this, it says Benjamin uh, left to right. And you see this wolf logo. You see it everywhere. You see it on, on things to buy and signs everywhere. Benjamin is a wolf to this day. It's a, it's a big deal. In fact, I didn't see any other tribes having logos or anything like this. Um, they are very Gen Z, right? Okay, so we got, we got that. Uh, Benjamin is a wolf. So uh, the, the story of the tribe of Benjamin, though, is the story of wolves. It is the story of, of fighters. People who fight for God, and then they end up turning and fighting against God and God's, God's ways. In their story, in the story of Benjamin, we see over and over again the awful consequences that came to these people from turning against God at some point and starting to fight the wrong, on the wrong team. And then we see the wonder of God giving them second chance after second chance. Undeserved chance after undeserved chance. It's, it's quite a story. Back in the days of Judges, so where are we at? Um, they've moved into the land under Joshua and they've just got settled into their places. And when they were settling into their places, Benjamin fought for God. He fought for God's plan. They were great fighters, great warriors, and they were right on point with God and God's people. But it didn't take long for them to turn and start fighting against God. And you have this awful story in Judges 19. It's probably one of the most disturbing stories uh, in the Bible. And, and basically the short of it is, is some people were traveling up the uh, patriarchal highway from south to north. And they were coming through the land and they decided to stay and rest at, at, a, at a, one of the cities there on the plateau. And... The men there attacked them, ended up raping the concubine. And these are Jewish people. These are Israel, Israel, Israelites. And they attacked their own people. And, and they did this huge evil. And, and the whole nation was disturbed by what, what Benjamin has done and how ungodly, how they just rejected God's holiness and, and, and how God wanted the nation to live. And, and so the nation comes out to this plateau and they confront the Benjamite tribe, and, and, and they're like, hey, this, this was evil, this was wrong. And what do these wolves do? What do these fighters do? They double down on their evil. They will not say they're sorry. They will not repent, and they're digging in, and, and the whole tribe gathers together. Not just the town that did this evil. The whole tribe gathers together, and they go to war against the nation. I mean, the, it's, it's like 26,000 to... Warriors to like 400,000. One little tribe to all the other tribes combined. It's, it, it ends up being a disaster for Benjamin. And, and they, get, they get slaughtered. It, it, they lost so horribly. Um, how bad is it? Well, in Numbers chapter 26, when the, when, the Benjam, when the Benjamin people are coming into land, the census has them recorded as 40, 45,600 men. 45,600 men. Uh, after they, they wage war against the other tribes, 600. From 45,600 to 600. They are completely decimated. They sinned and they stubbornly stood in their sin against God and they wouldn't re repent to God. They wouldn't repent to the nation. They just stubbornly stood in it and the consequences for them were devastating. They were just, they're going to fight. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to fight against everyone and every God. Everything. I'm going to fight, fight, fight. 
That's Benjamin. Just nearly destroyed him, basically destroyed him. Some years go by, and, and you get to near the end of the period of Judges, you know, maybe a couple hundred years, not exactly sure how many years at this moment, but you finally get to this very famous final judge. A guy named Samuel, a prophet. And, and he starts leading the nation as a young boy. And Samuel sets up his leadership center of the nation right here on the Benjamin Plateau. He, he sets it up at a place called Ramah. Here's a picture of Ramah, one of the, the hills that's just on this plateau. And for a long time, from when he's really young till he's old, he leads the nation from the Benjamin Plateau, this central crossroads pit, uh, place, uh, and makes it the leadership center of the nation. And then as Samuel gets old, uh, the nation wants a king. And so God chooses the king. And this is where it's just so amazing. When God looks over the land, he chooses a king from Benjamin. From that tribe that just went awful and turned against him. And even Saul is like, wait, who am I? We're like the word, the, the least tribe, the least. And God picks this guy from the tribe of Benjamin, and he gives Benjamin the second chance to become extremely significant in their nation. He gives him a second chance to not just, not just um, grow and, and not just be back on the map, but to become significant. To become significant. And he, and he sets his, up his capital here right on this plateau as well. I think this next picture is from Mizpah. Mizpah, you read about it all the time in the Bible. It's the, basically the place where they keep gathering all the armies. It's in the middle of the land. It's on the plateau. A lot of times they gather the nation's armies right here before they go into battle, Mizpah. You're looking south. You can see Ramah on the plateau where Saul leads. And, you, and Gibeah is just a little bit further than Ramah. They're pretty close together on the plateau. In the distance, you see this arrow saying the Mount of Olives. You can't see Jerusalem, but the Mount of Olives is, is, is right next to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not on the plateau, but it's about 60 minutes walk to the plateau from Jerusalem. So not very far. It's just off the plateau. 60 minutes, 90 minutes if you're slow. Um, so, you know, like yeah, 40 minutes for Laura, right? But, but, but it's, it, it's, it's, close, it's close by. And, uh, and then here's a zoomed up picture just of, of Gibeah where Saul sets up his palace uh, on this day. I don't know if you can tell in this picture, but um, there's a, a bit of a ruin, a, 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 an unfinished palace on top of Gibeah. This is where Saul leads the nation. This is significant. This is the first nation capital location for all of Israel. They did not have this before this moment. And this becomes, on the plateau, the first capital city for the nation. Um, the, the, the unbuilt structure on top, King Hussein, King Hussein of Jordan in the 60s, in 1960s, started building his own palace, probably on the exact same location that King Saul would have had his palace, right on top of the hill here. Um, but then Jordan and the Arab countries lost the Six-Day War in 1967, and they got booted out, and so the palace was never finished and, and, and all that. But that's, that's basically right on top of the hill there is where King Saul would have had his, his, his palace, his leadership second. Okay, God has given the nation or the, the tribe of Benjamin this perfect redemption opportunity. This amazing second chance. But Benjamin keeps messing up their futures. 
And so what happens with this king, King Saul? Well, King Saul, he, he, starts, he starts off fighting with God and fighting the Lord's battles. And he's in step with God. But the older he gets, the more he stops fighting with God and, and kind of moves to kind of fighting near God. And then further away from God. And tell the stories at the end of his life is this, this, this king from the tribe of Benjamin is fighting against God again. The, the God who had given them a second chance. And, and the leadership, the leader, what happens is God removes the leadership of the nation from the tribe of Benjamin, from King Saul, and actually from the pl plateau, from the Benjamin plateau forever. Again, Benjamin keeps messing up their future. He keeps messing up their future because they for, forget over and over again who they're supposed to be fighting for. They're supposed to be fighting for God and with God. And instead they keep turning against him. And so the plateau goes from becoming the center of the nation to the center of conflict. And war after war and battle after battle are fought on the plateau for the next couple hundred years after King Saul. Check out this map. This map here, there's a purple line right through the middle of it. The purple line is, it moves around uh, depending on the moment. But right through the plateau is the line between where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom meet. So Judah, the southern kingdom, is going to be south. And then the northern kingdom, comes, and right through the plateau, neither of them get the whole plateau at, at, at any point. And they're, but they're all, when they fight against each other, it's usually right on that plateau, trying to take a little bit more ground, take a little bit because it's strategic. It's got the crossroads. And so they're always fighting over that. They, they've gone from the, the center, uh, the leadership center, to this, the, the um, place of conflict, a place of fighting. Benjamin keeps messing up so badly. And they messed up so badly, they, they destroyed their potential. They've destroyed their potential. It's so sad. Over and over and over again. But God keeps giving second chances. There was another person from the tribe of Benjamin in the New Testament, a wolf, a fighter. A fighter from the tribe of Benjamin named Paul who would fight against God. Who would fight against Jesus. Who would fight against the church. Who was fighting against everything that Jesus was trying to accomplish in that generation. Who was putting Jesus' people to death. This wolf of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was leading the battle against God and God's agenda in his generation. But God is a God of second chances. God is a God of redemption who redeems fighters. He takes even the most self-sabotaging of people. God takes even the most self-sabotaging of people. And, and, and here in this case of Paul, Jesus meets Paul on the road uh, to Damascus and basically says, Paul, why are you fighting me? Why are you persecuting me? Paul, why are you fighting against me? And Jesus transforms this, this wolf, this fighter who fought against him, into a mighty champion for him. And recommissions this fighter to fight for the faith. To fight, uh, to tell the world uh, about Jesus. To, to become this champion of grace. To become this champion of the goodness of God. To be this champion of God who gives second chance after second chance after second chance. And Paul writes about this. He writes about this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this about himself. Even though I was formerly 
a blasphemer, a persecutor, you know, a fighter, an arrogant man, Paul writing about himself. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy, writes Paul, and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them, writes Paul. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul, from the tribe of Benjamin, a wolf, a fighter of fighters, he gets it. He's like anyone, if it's true for me, anyone with any tribe, of any background, of any baggage, of any sin, of any sexuality, of any amount of years of messing up, for any amount of quantity of times of messing up, anyone can be forgiven and saved and given another, another second chance. Praise Jesus. I'm telling you, there's nothing that you've ever done, there's nothing you've ever done that's been too awful for you to not receive a chance with God, another chance with God, another, another chance with God. No, ma no matter how many awfuls, no matter how many evils, no matter how, how messed up your life has been, there is another second chance for you right now, today. Maybe a second thousandth chance for you today. The door's wide open for you to receive grace and become whom you were born to be. With God. With God. Paul was a fighter. A wolf of Benjamin. And God redeemed that fighter. God purchased that fighter. God recruited that fighter. God redeemed that fighter to stand with him and for him like only a fighter can. He took that fighter and, and, and redirected his fighting spirit to take beating after beating after beating and not give up. To take thrashing after thrashing after thrashing and not back down and to continue with that fighting spirit declaring fearlessly the message of grace and goodness through Jesus of Nazareth. He used this fighter's courage. He used this fighter's audacity to keep, to keep proclaiming Jesus on dangerous ships, in dangerous port cities, in dangerous courtroom situations where his life hangs in the balance. God gave this wolf of Benjamin, the heart of a sheepdog, and Paul changed the world. From hunting and killing sheep, literally his story, to going out and bringing the sheep back to the shepherd, Jesus. I don't know your story. I don't know your screw-ups. I don't know the things that you've lost for just being stupid. I, I, I don't know the, 
the wrecked opportunities, the things in your life that you've self-sabotaged and wrecked that were amazing opportunities that God had in front of you, but you, you, you wrecked them. I don't, I don't know what those things are, but what I do know, what I do know is that today, Jesus is calling fighters back to him. He's calling people who have screwed up back to him. He's calling people who have been stupid back to him. He's calling people who have been against him back to him to give everyone another, another second chance. Another chance at a new beginning with God and for his gospel and his message of grace. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and, and you've, you're looking at your life and you realize you've just messed some things up. You've messed some things up with God. Today is a new beginning. Today is to be a new beginning, and, and I encourage you to go back to Jesus and be like, I'm sorry. I, I've been fighting against you in all of my life, or these aspects of my life, I've been fighting against you, and, and I, I, I'm sorry. And maybe there's people you need to say sorry to because of the ramifications of, of, of just being against God and, and not, not tracking what God wants for your life. Today I encourage you to recommit, to repent, to get back on track and be a re, uh, redeemed again. Uh, not in the ultimate sense, but in the set back on path sense. To be back on track with God. And I encourage you to rededicate your life to Jesus today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, uh, if, you've never, um, if you've never said, okay, Jesus, I am going to stop being about myself, and I'm going to start living for you. My whole life is going to be about you and your plans and your kingdom. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to be on your team. I, I encourage you today to, to join the, the, the God of our salvation, to join Jesus, to, to give your life to him and, and be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to dedicate and rededicate your life to Jesus in a moment. The challenge question that you can just have hanging in your heart as you, you move forward from now is, is a self-assessment. Are, are you fighting God in any aspect of your life? Or in every aspect of your life. But is there a part of your life you're fighting God in? Stop fighting him and start fighting for him, with him. Join his plan and his agenda. I think it's really important that we, we just take a moment and, and go ahead and close your eyes, wherever you're at. Close your eyes. I think it's time to take this second chance, friends. To take this, this, this new beginning moment. And maybe you need to dedicate your life to Jesus for the first time or rededicate. I, I encourage you to, to pray to this amazing God full of grace and forgiveness for everyone. And, and pray something like this. God, here I am. Forgive me. I have not been with you. I've been on my own plan, in my own ways, on my own agenda Maybe even fighting directly against you. And, and I yield. I yield my life and now I yield my future to you. And I choose to join with you in your agenda, in your plans and your purposes. Forgive me. Fill me with grace. Grant me this new beginning. And he joyfully will. Fill me with your spirit and lead me forward. My life now belongs to you. Thank you for this new beginning. Thank you for this new chance. In Jesus' name, amen.